hello and a huge welcome back to the Eurofocus podcast, your home of everything European football, which is now back on Spotify. However, before we do get into the football itself, um, I would like to wish you all a very happy new year, as it has been a long time since we had our last recording. And I would like to welcome up Ben, who is with me today. And as many of you do know, he has been away on his travels in Indonesia. As I said, it is just myself and Ben today. Connor is doing something and Harrison has been a part-timer for far too long. <laughs> so, Ben, I'll come to you first. It's very nice to have you back. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, pleasure to be back. Um, yeah, great to be back in the pod, back in the wonderful UK this time of year when it's nice and warm. But yeah, um, been away for around four months, so it's good to be back. Yeah, got us some Eurofocus viewers, and I hope that a few of you are listening over in Indonesia to the podcast. Any Percy to Jakarta fans, you know, tune in. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as I say, uh, brilliant to be back on today's episode. Just a bit of general conversation <laughs> about European football, as we normally do on this podcast. And then we're going to be looking back at our predicted uh, team of the years. We think it's an <coughs> adequate place to start, and um, really the new year basically and then later we're going to be deciding between ourselves who we think should get in the team of the year for 2023 but to start off with the actual football I think it was a big weekend in terms of the Premier League title race um, I think Manchester City showed really good character on Saturday night Ben I just want to know where do you sit not just with Manchester City but with all the teams involved in the title race um, I've been a very staunch kind of um, advocate for Pep and the City side for well the last few years and I think what they've showed over the last well nearly a decade now it's not really changed I I know they've had a few injuries to start of the year that weren't looking as good as they usually are but I think if your favourites aren't Man City even now even five weeks ago it you know maybe there's something wrong I think Arsenal the last few games maybe dropped down a little bit lost a few games drew a few games they shouldn't have Liverpool obviously sit top of the tree at the moment. City are waiting for, obviously, Haaland to come back full-time. De Bruyne has just come back. Rodri, I think yeah, the rest of the league's in trouble. Do you think that's the the main thing, though? Because we've seen it before, haven't we? That sort of back end of the season. I remember the podcast <laughs> towards the back end of the season last year <laughs> when we just said they can just pick up that run and they're just unstoppable in, in that form, aren't they? Yeah. Last, just from my memory right now, last three or four seasons I don't think they've really dropped more than five points which is remarkable um, Just it's just the way that they're resilient over the back end relentless I must have said that word about 50 times last year on the pod but it's never been truer they just the back end of the season has been remarkable to win the treble last year to go and beat them like they did in the league towards that second half yeah it's, it's not just it, I mean, last season they did it in all competitions, didn't they? No. Apart from the Carabao Cup, which has usually been their trophy for so long, hasn't it? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think when you look at the likes of Kevin De Bruyne coming back, Erling Haaland, obviously out, Jeremy Doku has been out recently. Mm-hmm. It's getting these sorts of players back. And when you look at the teams around them, such as Arsenal, who have been faltering mm-hmm. recently, I think it is safe to say that. Of course, Arsenal have men missing themselves. I think Thomas Partey has been a huge miss. Um, Jurian Timber, whilst he's didn't have much of a chance to show what he can do um, I said last week on TikTok that it has really stalled the development tactically of Arteta's side um, but I think City for me are just in a position where like the pressure's off them almost isn't it because they got some stick that when they lost three in a row didn't they they lost to Wolves and there was a couple more losses they lost to Arsenal as well didn't they lost, lost back to back after us um, was it Newcastle the week after I'm not too sure 
Like, no, like probably they, six they beat Newcastle. They, probably they lost six to, months ago. Yeah, they lost to Arsenal, us and somebody else, didn't they? Yeah, I know they lost back to back after us. We beat them, uh, went one nil up, and yeah. then they pulled it back, and then everyone was expecting our same old, and then dragged it up. But I think it's the most normal title race we've had in a while. That top teams <laughs> still can lose points, can't they? And they can drop points, and we have seen that not just with Manchester City, but with all of them really. But Liverpool just keep on. I think they're in a world of their own in a sense where they just sort of go out of the way, don't they? Just winning games. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially under Klopp, they've seemed to have. That one year of quality, and then they decline a little bit, um, despite that little brief period of where City and Liverpool were neck and neck. But obviously, they finished fifth last year, which may have helped them. You know, the Champions League uh, is obviously a tiresome affair. So yeah, Liverpool, like you just said, they go unnoticed in a way. You know, they just win games, churn out results, yeah. churn out results, and just going back to City, we're not saying that they are going to go unbeaten you know the second half of the season it's football anything can happen but we know what they can do yeah the the potential what they can do you're looking like any other team if you looked at you know the players returning for City and it's that back end of the season you'd be, you'd think they're in trouble but yeah Klopp's done really well with the resources he's been given um, very good signings in the summer now are you thinking the same as me as it's you know City are the favourites but if Liverpool continue churning out results like they are it's going to be it's going to be trouble. Definitely, because the way I see it is that this Liverpool side is still a developing side, really. Mm-hmm. Um, losing Sadio Mane, players like that, Fabinho, who they all lost, Roberto Firmino as well, all in the last sort of two to three years with Liverpool. So now it is a new side, obviously seeing Dominic Sobberslai, Alexis McAllister. They didn't, they didn't really address that need for a six. Mm. And yeah. we said that in the summer. But Endo's been performing admirably recently. Mm-hmm. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold has really stepped up his game to a 100%. whole new level. I've always had those questions, as I think everyone has, about about him defensively, but he's not just stepped up in that regard. His attacking output is much more well-rounded than what it was a few mm-hmm. years ago, isn't yeah. it? In terms of it's not just the ball from outside to in. He's comfortable in central areas, and he's got an eye for goal, hasn't he? Yeah. We're talk- we've been talking about this move for... Well, ever since he started playing, um, mm. probably 2017, about the fact that he probably will move into the uh, middle line at some point. But mm. if you look at, especially the last year, he got a lot of stick last season. Um, and that probably turned into a few mistakes that he made. You know, it doesn't help when you're lacking confidence. But this season, especially, moving into the middle and e- even playing at um, right back, it's been very, very good, creating chances, looking more confident. And I think with a young guy, like that confidence is key really um, but yeah Liverpool look really good really all rounded like you said they've not addressed a six but Trent Alexander-Arnold oozes confidence doesn't he really he's yeah. the sort of epitome of the word I think in recent times yeah. I remember the celebration away at the Etihad when the is it the 1-1 yeah it's when he scored a scream wasn't it yeah from the edge <laughs> of the box now I really like Liverpool this season I think mm-hmm. they're obviously everyone judges a team against Manchester City don't they and they're not mm-hmm. as enthralling to watch that's the benchmark isn't it exactly but it's difficult to not judge I mean even when we had debates a few months ago about it's a completely different story but when the likes of Eden Hazard retired (laughs) and everything now gets compared to the sort of robotic football that exists nowadays doesn't it and I think Manchester City at times it's like an algorithm being sort of written in front of you isn't it when you're watching them and against Newcastle what I couldn't believe was how 
All five goals in that game were stunners, weren't they? <laughs> Even the Newcastle goals. <laughs> Gordon's was just... It, it was so good. The way you take it on the inside. Mm. And um, Isaacs was very good as well. Bernardo Silvers was just a touch of class. I love Silvers the but, most. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Gordon's just to come in on the inside mm. and curl yeah, it definitely. in. Yeah. Against Carl Walker. You had him on strings for the first half, mm. really. Well, I couldn't believe, to be fair, how much space Newcastle let Walker have for the first goal. Mm. That did take me by surprise. And Kevin De Bruyne, <laughs> he's somebody that... I remember I saw some things on Twitter just debating whether he was going to come back the same and I don't <laughs> see how anybody could have any doubts as to yeah. as to whether that was going to be the case or not. I mean, he come back and he said himself in interviews, he's still not there for in terms of full fitness. Mm. But you can't expect him to be, can you? No, so, he's out, you know, out from injury just. You know, no one comes back you know, 100% fit. I mean, Players he, always try and, you know push it and push it and push it to, to get on as early as they can mm. and from the impact that he made on Saturday could you ever doubt him really I mean if he can come on and just have 25 minutes and score that goal <laughs> and get that assist you're certainly not going to complain are you because you're going to face you're not going to have many more difficult tests than Newcastle really yeah I know this season they've lost 10 lost 4 of the last 5 been shocking but on their day very very good team and like that you saw on Saturday you know they can push the best yes they're kind of losing it towards the back end of the game they're going behind a lot and just not being able to recover but like they've lost 10 they're sitting 10th in the table if memory serves me correct Um, yeah they're a very very good team on the day pushed Man City the best side in the world at the moment but yeah it's always going to be that do you, when do you think there starts to be pressure on Eddie Howe? Because I know that there was mentions of it of if they lost to Sunderland, which was a big if, of mm-hmm. course. But for me, I'm firmly in the camp of they've had a lot of injuries and he's gained a lot in his bank already that sort of gives him leverage in terms mm-hmm. of what he did last season. And the, But there's always going to be the argument of the money spent and the fact that the owners are inevitably going to want more. Yeah. But what's your thoughts on Eddie Howe and his current situation and whether... As I say, that leverage does exist for him. I'm, I believe that the current situation for Howe, he's not going to be sacked um, mid-season. And I'm aware that he's had a bad... You'd, you'd go as far as to say he's had a bad season this season, yeah. without a doubt. Um, obviously, with the project that's going on over there, the owners will know that the money that they're going to put in, they can bring someone in that will do a job. And at, at the moment... If Howe's not doing that job with the money that they will inevitably invest and they've invested already, then obviously his time will be done. But at the moment, I'd give him, obviously, till the end of the season, but the owners aren't going to see it like that. They want they want success at Newcastle. I think a lot of it is down to context, isn't it? I mean, you look at the Sandra Tonali situation, that's not anything that you want for a big money signing. No. And he's still obviously a quality footballer, and when he comes back, he will make a difference, but it's still far from ideal and then you, you've got injuries to a lot of key players I know Isaac's not exactly been inconsistent for me in terms of his he's fitness. injured at the start of the season for yeah. a while hasn't he but he's been fantastic whenever he plays isn't mm-hmm. he he's yeah. an amazing centre forward for me um, there's certain players in and out of form that possibly need moving on and um, I know Newcastle fans it's, it's difficult to not be sentimental with a side that have got you so far but mm-hmm. it's also important to know that players like Miguel Almiron who to be fair isn't a top four player is no. in a player that no should way. be pushing no up way. the upper echelons of the Premier League players like him I know have struggled 
I know they've, they've even recalled Isaac Hayden from loan, I believe. I think he was away in Belgium somewhere. It, like you said, it is very unfortunate what's gone on you know, with the Tonali situation. Sven that, Botman was out you know, for a while as yeah, well, wasn't he? As it? a six, you know, he's the, he's the centrepiece of the side. And you pay big money for him and, and something like that happens. But if you even look back at you know last season, first season with new ownership, very, very good season. You look at this year, out of the Champions League already... Had a little very, brief period, and now you sit in tenth in the Champions League. But they were very unfortunate in that Champions League scenario, weren't they? Yeah, but owners don't really see no, like that. Yeah. You know, if you're investing money into a club, a big club like Newcastle, you're investing money, and you're just getting, you know, you finish, you're in tenth in January. At, well, let's say at Christmas, for example, mm. you're out in the Champions League. You know, you're not really, you're not really calling for plaudits, are you? I mean, I said it myself when I saw them in person when. Uh, the 2-2 draw against Wolves mm-hmm. um, I thought I didn't see how they were any better than the likes of Aston Villa and Brighton who had also come to Molyneux this season Yeah, I mean as I say they've still got very 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 good players and there's now all the talk about do they need to sell to buy <laughs> Bruno Guimaraes would be the number one who I could see making a move possibly to Paris Saint-Germain I know that one's always been sort of spoken mm-hmm. about Yeah, he's like they absolutely can't let go of because there are the problem is now is that getting a centre forward in Europe that can score you consistent goals it is very 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 it's like rocking all shit isn't it they don't come around very often and if they do it's for very very big money which they spent on Isaac Um, speaking of that have you seen that um, Santiago Jimenez might be as well there's links with West Ham West Ham and he's possible I'm not sure possibly only 30 million (sighs) I mean jeez 30 mil yeah but completely, I digress, do apologise. That's, um, that's an absolute steal. Would be, yeah. But I think he's like somebody that Newcastle can't really let go of. No. As I said, I think there are players within that side that do possibly need moving on. Your Armourons and players of that ilk that have done a great job for a few years. I know Armouron took some stick I mean, his first couple of years. but um, Thank you and goodbye, yeah. yeah. Your players of that ilk who, maybe even Sean Longstaff's players like that, because... It took Manchester City a while to eventually build up to the level of being at the top, didn't it? You know, it doesn't exactly happen overnight despite the money. You can't just click your fingers and instantly be winning trophies. But... Yeah, yeah I, completely, I completely agree. But, you know, there's that blueprint of City back then. And it is a little bit different now with financial fair play and the fact that everyone's holding Newcastle to the blueprint of, well, City did it in 2008, got brought big club and then it took them a few years to get in, into it and now look at them now but every club is always different and there's not going to be that exact same blueprint applied <clears throat> sorry so yeah it will take time you know we're what 18 months into a transition so it will take time um the more money that you invest obviously the better plays that you're going to get and it's not going to happen overnight we're very very short into you know the time span of newcastle football club's new ownership i mean with financial fair play in mind as well, Nottingham Forest and Everton again are the next clubs to possibly be in trouble, aren't they? But I think, for me, I've never agreed with the idea of how financial fair play is used. Mm, 100%. Because all it does is it stops sides from progressing and challenging, doesn't it, past a certain point. Which is why, it, as I say, it isn't going to happen overnight for Newcastle because by spending that money, you're expected now to get instant, instant results. It can't happen. Within a year, yeah. Yeah. Manchester City had a steady growth 
obviously a lot faster than what it could have been without money <laughs> but it was it was a steadier growth than what is now expected <laughs> because financial fair play in essence is to stop things happening like what happened with Leeds in the 2000s wasn't it to stop money being pumped in that simply isn't yeah, there the, but um, just for Garzy money essentially yeah I, f- I feel sorry for both Forrest and Everton to be honest <laughs> But well, Everton a, a little bit more like think, you've already had 10 points deduction which I really do not agree with point deductions by the way um, I understand what they're used for but I just think it takes it away from it It takes anything bad that's happened up the top and just goes straight and it hits the fans and it hits the players straight away and I'm not a massive advocate for it and now to if it is a double point deduction in a season but for me it's because you've got the one hand of, as to say the clubs know that the clubs should be more diligent mm-hmm. in this aspect and they should know if they've broke the rules in any mm-hmm. way shape or form yep. but also at the same time as I say the principle of financial fair play it only really affects your clubs like Nottingham Forest and yep. Everton who are trying to compete <laughs> who the Premier League now is at a stage where the quality disparity between the top and the bottom is at an all time high <laughs> isn't it yep. and you simply have no chance of progressing to that level I mean, even Aston Villa are finding out and, and will continue to find out that it is so difficult to not just get to that level, but to stay at that level because of the financial disparity, because of the fact that you can't spend... When owners do have the money, but you can't spend it because of mm. financial fair play. Yeah, We okay. found out a few years ago, didn't we, when we couldn't spend because we didn't get into Europe. <laughs> and that, obviously now with our financial troubles this summer, just gone. Yudin Lopetegui leaving... Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, as I say, I feel sorry for both clubs. They should be more, di- more should be more diligent. Sorry, mm. but at the same time, I think it's a broken, very much a broken record in the sense of it only seems to favour the top clubs. Yeah, it, it's a flawed system, and these teams have been sold the Premier League dream, but then they get into the glass ceiling and then being persecuted for crashing through it, and it, it just makes no sense. Like you said, the teams like us like Everton, like Forest, you're getting to a point where you're trying to expand the football club, you're trying to grow the football club, you're trying to make it better, but then for doing that, you're getting prosecuted for it. it. It's like having, it's like putting a cap on your own success, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't personally agree with it. No, um, I'd agree with you there. Manchester United, um, restructure ahead. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very good game against Tottenham. Um, I think it was... Expected to be a good game. I was certainly looking forward to it. But overall thoughts? On the game or Man United? Well, the game, first of all. Um, nice to see um, Hoyland on the score sheet. And, I'm, and gl- I'm more glad that you've got his name right this time. Hodgend. <laughs> um, yeah, I was standing in front of the mirror today. Yeah, just, just repeating it. Just practising it. it <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, Spurs is not, um, not Spurs' strong side, uh, strongest side. Sorry. Um, but yeah, United, not a, a nice little patch over the last couple of months. Things are looking slightly up, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. Yesterday, obviously, to get when you get Rashford firing, they look like a completely different team. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, scoring yesterday, maybe it's the start of, of something. Ho- Hoyland. Rasmus <laughs> Hoyland. Yeah, Rasmus Hoyland. Have you not seen the video of him pronouncing his name? No, I haven't. I think it's Hoyland. 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 Yeah, mm-hmm. Rasmus, if you're listening, he says you're English, so just pronounce it how you want. But yeah, if Rasmus been... is listening, please... what did you call him in the summer? Was it 
Is it Hodgend? Hodgend. Hodgend. Yeah, that was just from Siri's name written down. It was one of those I didn't actually notice at the time until I come to edit the podcast and I was like, has he really just said that? No. <laughs> yeah, most, you know, I think that a lot when Ben speaks, to be honest. <laughs> I need to start putting accents on my words. You know, yeah, to, definitely. You know, instead of just saying it in this black country style. See, I think with with um, Manchester United though, it's that well, the game in general. I think I saw the piece on Sky yesterday after the game about Spurs not being Spursy anymore because <laughs> that that was a game yesterday. It, it's a banana skin, isn't it? It's <laughs> you go one nil down early on. That's a game that could have easily, in years gone by, ended up two, three, or four nil. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen it that many times in the past in terms of how these games these banana skins really can go against you but I thought both teams were both admirable really held their own yeah, yeah both held their own um, some poor defending for Tottenham's equaliser in the second half 50 seconds into the half as well mm-hmm. very poor defending Andre Onana again um, suspect <laughs> I mean I know, I know he flew to Cameroon last night did you know that? Yeah, um, because it was he was meant to fly out before yesterday's game and then come to an agreement that said game, that he could yeah. play and fly out um, last night, sorry. Um, I mean, fair, fair play. Enough, fair enough. But, Eric Ten Hag, where do you stand? Um, I, I'd, I'd give him a little bit more time. Like, like you said... I know Man United's a massive football club and they deserve, well, they don't deserve success, no one deserves success, but they're, they're due it, you know, a club like that size. Now, like you said, everyone expects instant success and he's had a lot of trouble going on in the changing room at Old Trafford and upstairs in, you know, above his pay grade, essentially. But when you get a, a very, very good manager like Eric Ten Hag, just just give him a little bit of time and we don't get that enough in modern football we don't get where you give him a few seasons just to just to see how it goes and I understand that United's a massive football club Radcliffe's just um, brought a, a, well, more than a few shares in Man United so obviously he's going to have his thoughts in that but yeah I'll, I'd give him time I like his brand of football um, he's had a little bit of trouble in you know this season but had a very good season last season See, for me, I'm very much in the campus to... He had a few roadblocks mm-hmm. in the side last year and a, a lot of it was a square pegs in round holes approach. Mm-hmm. But I don't see a style. I don't see a style anything like what was there at Ajax. Yeah. Um, I don't see where this team is going because the issues that needed addressing last year was an eight alongside Casemiro. Mm-hmm. Casemiro, for me, is still... What in terms of financially, one of the worst signings in recent years. In terms of you getting a couple, a, year, a good year, or a good top quality year, mm. and then a subpar one this yeah. year out of a player who you spent seventy million pounds on. And they didn't address the issues next to him. Instead, they bought in Mason Mount. <laughs> that that was that was very very very. There's bad been signing. the issues with Jaden Sancho this season, yep. which is yet again, if he comes back in the summer and if there is new management, are they going to take a look at him? Because Jan Sancho will thrive. You'd you'd think He's, if if let's say they are under new management, you'd be stupid to have Jadon Sancho back and just dismiss him. Well, yeah, it, it's got to be assessed. It has to be assessed. But I think, as I say, there was issues in that side that didn't get addressed in the correct way. There was expectations on Hoyland, and, and is there, there there was always going to be because yeah. it's big money on yeah. a centre forward. And he's will he will show prove his worth. I have no doubt that he is an absolute top centre forward and will be for many years to come. 
but I'm still yet to really see a style with Ten Hag because last season he was forced to play that sort of counter-attacking style yeah. because they had no real progressive midfielder mm-hmm. capable of breaking the lines, capable of really dictating the tempo of a game. They're very reliant on Lissandro Martinez in that aspect mm-hmm. because he's the only one who is really, I'd say, A, press-resistant press enough to be able to play out from the back and B, even remotely intelligent enough in that sort of middle of the park. So him coming back is a huge plus. And I'm just in... I'm very much in the camp of yes, give Ten Hag time. Yeah. Because I think he can and has proven that he can play great football mm. at a very uh, elite level. But at the same time, he's hardly doing himself any favours because he wanted backing and he wanted control in the transfer market. Yeah. And instead, he keeps going after his mates, <laughs> such as Anthony, Andrea Nana. The search for Frankie De Jong never ended up coming to fruition. Yes. It seems he's very much in that camp of he liked familiarity, which can work. Well, that room will be back in you know, a few months. Yeah, so. yeah. It'll, of course, the summer will come round and it'll be again. Frankie de Jong. He wants to go. They're getting him. Oh, he's staying. Garnacho on the right, I do like a lot. I think he's much more effective on the right. Mm-hmm. I think he's a very, very. He'll be a top player. Um, on the, it makes him sort of think about things more. By the looks of it, to me, just the way that he operates on the right, um, I think he looks a much more well-rounded prospect. And Rashford. Um, nice to see him get back on the score sheet. I know he's taken a lot of stick and understandably so. Yeah. Um, but he's there's still talent there. We know there is, isn't there? Uh, oh, there's an abundance of talent with Marcus mm. Rashford. On his day, as, as I'd go as far as to say he's as good as anyone on, on his day, but his day isn't that often. Um, and that's the problem with Marcus Rashford. He has he had a very good season a couple of years ago, had a very good season it last year or the year before. Um and then he just seems to leave his purple patch and just go into mediocrity, which yeah. isn't helpful mm. to anyone, isn't helpful to himself, isn't helpful to Man United, England. So you obviously want the best players firing on all cylinders, and Ten Hag definitely does. But just going back to Eric Ten Hag, if if United say let's get rid of Ten Hag without giving him, you know, at least a few years, are we not just going, you know, in a roundabout again to find another very good manager who can't do it? You know, within two years, mm, get sacked, yeah, exactly. and then you go, "Are oh, the Glazers, which obviously are, are a problem, but are we just gonna, you know, keep on uh, sacking R- managers, bring people repeat, in? Yeah. They bring in their players. They're not given time to flourish. Then get another manager, and then six years later, you've had three managers again. Because that that's it says enough to me when you look at the managers that have been at the helm. Yeah, the fact that Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho have been there and cannot get anything out of these players. And Ralph Ragnick, who, yes, he's obviously not as high profile as the other two, but had a proven track record at previous clubs, and he's now in charge of the Austrian national team. <laughs> you know, and Ten Hag himself, somebody who has a credible track record. David Moyes had a very credible track record. Solskjaer is the only person you look at and go, it was a complete unknown. And arguably, out of the, the lot, they had the best times under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um... But when... when when do you look at that and go, there are serious issues? Because if you can't get anything out of A, a team, and B, a club, with those calibre of managers, where does the problem lie? Is there an issue in the dressing room? I still don't believe that Bruno Fernandes is captain material. No. I think, yes, being a voice in the dressing room, being a key voice, of course, but at the same time, I think he moans too much. Yeah. I think... When your captain's doing interviews, just moaning and moaning yeah. and moaning. 
But not going back to what you just said about when do United need to address it? That it's been addressed. It's been addressed ten years ago, and nothing's happening. It's a stalemate at Old Trafford at the moment. Yeah. Even you know, looking at the ground, it's crumbling, and they're not doing anything about it. Everything that's going on at Old Trafford and Manchester United Football Club has been addressed, but no one's doing anything about it. And then they're wondering why things aren't changing. There's problems at that club that aren't being addressed or changed. So, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot there. Massively. And I think, as I say, the, the questions really revolve around when does it change? Is the new restructure at the club, is Ten Hag going to be stuck with? <laughs> Are they going to basically carry on and give more time? Because then we said about Jadon Sancho, that basically rules Jadon Sancho out of a Manchester United future. Yeah. Well, immediate future anyway. We've got that issue. Does Ten Hag leave? Because yet again, like you said, it's just another project ripped up after two yeah. years. Um, who do you get in? Where do you go next? Or, you, you'll get an elite manager. You'll get in Hansi Flick, who will have a decent first season. Yeah, he'll bring he'll over have... Leon Goretzka with him, with <laughs> yeah. German players, and yeah, then... and then it'll it'll collapse a little bit over the second season. Yeah. You'll get him gone. You'll get someone in. Do the same. You'll you'll have a decent run in the Champions League. Might mm. get second in the Prem, and then it just it cycles and cycles and cycles. You need to stick with someone. Give give them time. Don't don't go out in the media and over social media and hound players and hound managers after six bad months. Give people time and see what they can do rather than because it's a never ending cycle of managers coming and going. And that's the thing because we speak about sort of expecting success after everything that happened with Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. That level of success will always always be expected, won't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think. It is difficult for football fans at sometimes to to really appreciate the fact that whilst Manchester United have been struggling, people like Manchester City and Liverpool have just been prime examples of how to operate on the pitch and off the pitch. I think speaking of another team that really are just a, sort of operating perfectly on and off the pitch at the moment, Real Madrid, uh, Spanish Super Cup champions over in uh, Saudi. Carlo Ancelotti's winning record, the most under underappreciated manager I think of all time in terms of the, the level of success compared to the appreciation that he gets without a doubt we were we were touching on it last night while the game was happening weren't we about the fact that the only thing yeah. that seems to happen with Carlo Angelotti is he wins everything wins something gets talked about for a month and then people seem to forget how good of a manager he is like when you go on about the world great managers his name doesn't get brought up enough as it should I think people always look at it and say, well, he's only ever done it at big clubs. But there's a reason for that. Mm. Because he simply, it's a very much um, a case of him letting footballers do what they do best. He puts mm. his best players in their best positions and he's a great, great man manager. And after that discussion, I sent the Neil Warnock video to the group chat <laughs> saying that 99% of football management is being a man manager. Yeah. And Ancelotti is somebody that he gets everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. Mm. You never hear players come out about Ancelotti, do you? No. You've never heard of stories of, oh, such and such has fell out with Carlo Ancelotti. I think he would have been perfect for Brazil. And they've left themselves in a pickle, real pickle, <laughs> <laughs> See, with that whole debacle. I'm surprised he stayed on at Madrid, but you don't blame him when you're just in a position where you've arguably got the best job in the world. You've got some of the most talented footballers in the world in your Vinicius Juniors, your Rodrigo's. That midfield the future midfield is ridiculous. You've got 
talent still bedding in. Arda Guler has recently made his debut and he's, you know, filling into the side now. Got players like Nico Paz. You've got the Fran Garcia, the young fullback. Mm-hmm. You've got Hendrik who's arriving in the summer. There's so much talent coursing through that club. And when you compare them to a Manchester United, everything is just planned, isn't it? Everything is... There's always a method to the madness, isn't there, at Real Madrid? I mean, apart from the sort of Lopetegui, uh, Solari, that sort of time, there is really much a method to everything. Yeah. If you look at Real Madrid as a club, well, it's a brand, um, Real Madrid is. And if let's just compare it to Man United for a, for a moment. They are two of the biggest probably one and two um, in the world of you know, size and you know, reach and everything like that. And then if you look at Real Madrid, they can get results out of nothing. They can win stuff out of nothing. Even when they have a little bad patch, they win stuff. And it's just a well-oiled machine. And they just know how to do everything. And they've got a blueprint for everything. They Winning is literally Real Madrid. And that's... They haven't even been impressive to watch this season at all. No. There's only been a handful of games where I've watched them and gone, they were really good today. <laughs> Last week when I covered them, their home match against Mallorca, that was one of the worst Real Madrid performances I've seen in a few years. But it's understandable as to why. Lack of a centre-forward means they are quite rigid and they very there's very much a lack of sort of any tactical discipline in the team <laughs> in terms of going forward. A lot of it is reliant on individual ability and Jude Bellingham who's ended up being a star yes I don't think anyone could have expected this sort of level of performances from him but at the same time he's also playing a high role up the pitch so he's going to be on the end of crosses and he is going to get himself into goal scoring positions but Ancelotti's found a way to make this side work and with this sort of diamond midfield he's still got people like Tony Kroos and Luka Modric who at their age is just simply ridiculous still performing week in week out in that central block it's like if you look at you know we go back to Iniesta, Xavi at their age they were they were out of uh, Spain's top flight. You look at Cruz and Modric, and if you took a video and edited it back ten years ago, you wouldn't notice any different. You know, you That's how good they are. Mm. You know, I watched. I don't know if you watched any of the new uh, World Cup series on Netflix. I haven't. No, that was really good. And it talks about Modric in the, in the national team, and he's somebody that whilst he gets the appreciation for how good he's been people won't realise how good Luka Modric was after. I mean for me he's somebody that I grew up with probably similar for you yeah. as well he's always been one of those players that just even at Tottenham and then his first year at Real Madrid he got voted the worst, worst signing of signing. the year didn't he yeah for a couple of seasons when he signed in I'd say 2012 2012-13 yeah. was it 2013 after he came from Tottenham 12 he signed yeah yeah, yeah. um for his first couple of seasons, you know, Real Madrid wanted him out. And then in that space, he just got his head down, played the fiddle in the centre of the park, really. And, you know, you look now, Ballon d'Or winner, he's done wonders for Croatia, absolute wonders. For Real Madrid, you know, five times Champions League winner, multiple times La Liga winner. To win the Champions League once is something that we all dream of. Then. Yeah, the, the, those pitches where they're holding five up, mm. you, you don't get that at any other club apart from. Real Madrid and like we were saying earlier it's just a well-oiled machine and it's also the fact that you have these world-class stars you look at Haaland you look at Mbappe world-class stars there's only one destination nowadays you used to have the Barca's you had the Barca's you had the Real Madrid's you had you know, to the essence the Italian teams but now it is 
And when he does go to <laughs> Real Madrid, as Mbappe is inevitably going to at some yeah, point, it will happen, that's, that's torture for teams. I think last night as well proved just how Barcelona and Real Madrid are on very much opposite ends of the spectrum to each other yeah. at the minute. Because Barcelona at the moment is basically a haven for players who are getting past their prime. Yeah. Ilkay Gundogan, Joao Cancelo, Lewandowski, rebuilding, well, attempting to rebuild Joao Felix, but that move won't become permanent anyway. So he's back to square one in Can't the summer. Afford him, yeah. Lewandowski's been poor this season, understandably because of his age. Mm. A lot of players have been poor. Without Pedri, I don't know where they'd be. Yeah, it's obviously Gavi has gone through an injury situation. I think he's out long term, isn't he? Yeah, it's a very long. Mm. I remember reading about it. It's Months and months. Yeah, Alex Balde's been poor this season. Chavi can take the blame, but he's seemingly getting away with quite a lot of it, which is understandable because it is Chavi. It's getting away with murder. But that, well, when you spend 20 years at a club, I suppose, when you go into that You do role, gain leverage, didn't you? Yeah, especially a club like Barcelona, which is very territorial, um, very passionate about you know the club, Catalonia. When you get a legend coming at the helm... No, well, it didn't work for Coman, but um, yeah, he's obviously yeah. going to get extra time just because of you know he's Xavi Hernandez and the situation they are in. I mean, I know Deco come out last night straight after the game, basically admitting that the club can't spend. I think he's sporting director or something yeah. at the club, um, but he come out and said we can't spend. They're in a position where they've got quality players in a system that doesn't really suit the personnel that it's got yeah. anymore. Last season when they had Ousmane Dembélé. And Rafinha, before he decided to somehow lose any bit of form, <laughs> um, that the system was very much built around creating width and creating space for Usman, Dem- Usman Dembele. And then when yeah. you lose, for me, Dembele is obviously frustrating as a mm-hmm. footballer to watch at times. But when you lose his pace and you lose his energy, you lose his drive, and you replace it with Ferran Torres, it's obvious that there's going to be a, a bit of a difference. And Joao Felix, who is a luxury player, I love wa- love watching him. I, th- I don't think anyone can't enjoy watching João Felix, no. but he's not a Barcelona player in the sense of he's not a. I don't want to say not a team player, but he's not somebody that is going to be reliably getting you fifteen to twenty goals yeah. and ten plus assists. It, it's the problem with being a super club and going through well self inflicted harm as Barcelona have, because you don't get any time to rebuild. You you have to have results and exit. Like yeah. you have to get results. You have to do as well as you were because the fans are used to it. You're a super club ever since you know the seventies really. Now you don't have time where you can assess the situation, save a little bit of money, um, maybe buy a few cheaper players, grow your money that way, pay off debts. You've got to do everything you can to get to where you were, which in turn incurs in even more downside risk yeah exactly and I think as as we said about Madrid and Real Madrid and Manchester United who are sort of the antithesis, antithesis of each other sorry nearly <laughs> I'm trying to get our team of the years up from the summer well team of the season sorry the predictions mm. um, but um, they're very much say, the complete opposite and Barcelona are in that situation that it's whilst they've got young players coming through like Juventus have been an example of a club that struggled in recent years that are going through a rebuild and they've now got one of the most impressive core of youngsters across the world not just Europe Bayern Munich had a few years where 
whilst they were Ben's wearing his buying top at the moment, whilst they were still winning the Bundesliga, they weren't there or thereabouts in the Champions League, and it took them it took them a few years, and it under Nico Kovac, and then eventually Hansi Flick come in and really elevated the club back to where it should be. You know, the, there are peaks and troughs in football, yeah. But Barcelona has just been the very much example of how not to run a football club. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> If you, you know, went to school and studied running a football club, they would have two ends of the spectrum. They'd have Real Madrid up there as how to do it, and then you'd have Barcelona at the foot of the table saying, don't do anything like that. Because in the last f- four or five years, that club's gone from super club to... I can't really even describe it. Yeah. I can't even describe the downfall that they've had. Yeah. Right, in this section of the episode, it's now time to, well, first of all, look back at our team of the years, what predicted, what we thought the Premier League was going to be, and then really have a discussion, which has been a very hot topic within the world of football recently. Team of the year for the calendar year of 2023. Bit of a different rule this time, because usually we know we've given them, can't have more than three players from one team. But because this is a holy viewer, uh, we are just giving it a free-for-all, I'm guessing. So, if we start by going back to... What date was this podcast that we recorded? I've got it right here. Um, 14th of August, so just as the Premier League started. 14th of August? Yeah. So, in goal, this is the the universal team that we ended up choosing. Um, We had Edison. Mm -hmm. I think that's a shout that was... Makes sense. It, it does make sense. Um, case for probably Allison as well, but Addis, uh, Edison, sorry, with with what he's done, um, yeah. And we've got to say also, Manchester City being that far ahead last year will probably show in this yeah. team. Trent Alexander-Arnold, yep. William Saliba, yep. Sven Botman, and Luke Shaw, two of which have been injured for. <laughs> that's it just started that off look. so well. Yeah. It started oh, no. off so well. Then Rodri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Bruno Fernandes, mm. Enzo Fernandes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we've got three stinkers, really. Yeah. And then our front three, two of which have been early Haaland, obviously you're going to put that. Yep. He has still scored goals. I yep. know he's not been in the headlines as much. Yep. Um, Mohamed Salah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's still scoring goals, yeah. isn't he? And then the next one is a bit of... Um, Someone that's disappointed all season, really. Bukayo Saka. Yeah. He's been very... A lot of the time, not his own fault. Arsenal as a team have been underwhelming at times. But I think Saka and Martinelli have both been poor in a lot of aspects. Very underwhelming. Honourable yeah. mentions. <laughs> Jurian Timber. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we said because Kevin De Bruyne got injured that weekend, didn't he? We right. put, I put him in the honourable mentions, I believe. Okay. Would have had Nkunku if not for his injury. Yeah. Put that in my notes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Purvis Estepinian. So we've just gone for everyone that got injured, didn't we, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 50-50. Yeah. 50% was a very good pick. And the other 50 are we, we the was, Yeah, we were doing so all right. We were doing really fine. When we got to Edison, Trent, Saliba, I was like, yeah, oh, we're in the money. And then to Botman and Shaw. Just, mm. Right. The debate that I suppose everyone's hopefully been waiting for otherwise what have you been listening to this podcast for the last 45 mm-hmm. minutes for um, <laughs> we've got our team of the year 2023 calendar year calendar year calendar yes year. calendar year um, as a guest I'm going to let you go first with your goalkeeper and then we'll 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Delight. So, yeah, to start off, my team of 2023 is Alison in net. Mm. Mm-hmm. I went for the other Brazilian. You went for Edison. I think treble winning goalkeeper. I, I, I rate Alison higher, yeah. I must admit. But I think if we're doing what they won and their performances alongside, I think I'd have to go to Ed, Edison, to be honest. No, it's completely honest. It was one of those where it is... Um, yeah, fifty-fifty for me. If if someone picks Edison, Allison, mm. it then that's um, completely understandable. The reason I've gone for Allison is maybe a little bit of recency bias over the last you know four or, four or five months since the season started. However long it's been, just been rock solid. Even last year saved Liverpool. It is ridiculous. You know, isn't it? I don't think without Allison in net they even get to fifth um, last year. Very very good. Expect the whole of twenty twenty three. Um, shot stopping I don't think there's a better shot stopper in the world mm. if we're being um, that's honest. something I'll get onto in a minute when I've got another Liverpool player yeah but what are we, what are we doing sticking yeah, on to it for the first one because you know I'm such a nice guy I'll let you have okay edition. <laughs> um, we're going to start on the left or right hand side for defence completely up to you mate well in my list I've got left to right because for some reason I've done it the opposite today um I had Federico DeMarco. DeMarco. He's been consistent. He always has been consistent in the last sort of two to three years under Inzaghi. In a side that got to the Champions League final, in a side that are currently top of Serie A and will most likely go on to to win the title. Mm-hmm. We'll possibly have another late run in the Champions League. I think he's just been... Because when you're judging left-backs across Europe this season, it's so... It's well, this year, There's not been any standout names apart from your likes of DeMarco's or Alejandro Grimaldo's I've I've also had Grimaldo you had Grimaldo yeah that's a difficult one because I I feel like he's on my honourable mentions list um, but it's only been August to now really yeah like, whilst he was still good for Benfica but yeah, it, yeah it's been you know five months of obviously being at Leverkusen and then um Benfica before but I was just I did when doing my research for the team that left side of a full back is really really it's been shaky this season and like I said a few honourable mentions but he was the one over the like I said if a good if an unreal five months if a player has an unreal five months in my opinion that accounts for more than a player having a good year do you understand? So I'm, I'm willing to budge on that one because, okay. as I say, I was going to put Grimaldo in. Um, I did centre-back. Centre-back. Mm. Well, my first is Ruben Diaz. Really? Yeah. I, was, I'm st- I like him, but I'm still not on the bandwagon with him. You're not? I just think it's very much a right place, right time for him. I think he gets exposed far too often when he's actually left 1v1 <sighs> with somebody. I don't think you can put him on the same pedestal as someone like Virgil van Dijk or William Saliba who I've got in my yeah Saliba is my other one is it um, van Dijk was a very much maybe I got swayed with Ruben Dijk but like you just mentioned about trophies with Alisson I think Ruben Diaz yeah at at the back as in the Champions League um, as the best centre half for the world for the best team in the world I think to not have him in a champions um, in a team of the year when he's won everything, the mm. treble. I've, I've got to have Ruben Diaz in my team. I still think he's a world class defender, but I just think that I can't. Something in my head can't place him on the same pedestal as someone like Virgil Van Dijk. 
No, well, it's not the same pedestal as Virgil van Dijk in the fact that but you, you, think you can believe that uh, just over this year, we're not talking okay. about um, van Dijk being a, you know, a lesser player than Diaz because I think van Dijk is a better player than Diaz. But from the 2023 season, I believe that Ruben Diaz had a better season than Virgil van Dijk did. I was actually going to go with Kim Min-Jay, but um, I think Van Dijk, Liverpool have been probably the best side in the Premier League since February of last year, haven't they? The way that yeah. they t- turned things around last yeah. season and then really this season, yet again, looking back to the level they was before. I'm willing to let you have Diaz because Thank of you. the factors. <laughs> he was at the heart of a Champions League winning side, treble winning treble side. Um, so, um, we've currently got... We've got- Alison Edison. No, Edison, haven't we? Yeah. Let me write this down. Just so we can announce our team at the end. Edison, Grimaldo. Uh, then we have Diaz and Saliba. Saliba, yeah. And then on the right-hand side, I've got a um, bit of a out-there pick. Well, I don't know. Grimaldo's partner, Jeremy Frimpong. He's <laughs> just been in 2023. Well, was in 2023. Since Chubby Alonso's arrival sensational and I think his his stats are ridiculous well was ridiculous in that whole team that he's in flying form and I think the only reason I've picked him and not Grimaldo was the fact that he was sensational for Leverkusen in the second half of last campaign as well mm. and has, has kicked on even further so have you got I've gone with a safe pick Trent Alexander yeah. yeah Frimpong was there was a debate there um, over you know, like I said with Grimaldo, having five superb months you know, equates to a lot of players having a good 12 months. Yeah. However, I've gone with Trent just because... We, I'm not going to completely go over again because we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but he's took his game to another level um, this season. You know, very, very good for Liverpool on that right and in the, uh, in the centre I've gone with him, but like I said, it was between him and Frimpong because Frimpong, and especially the whole uh, Leverkusen side this season. Yeah, you've got to understand that as well, haven't you? The fact that they are top of the league and they're winning games, winning games comfortably, they're winning games that they've not been the best in, they're acting like champions. Yeah, And I think he's living up to the potential that people really mentioned when he broke onto the scene at Celtic. Yeah. Um, with Trent, as I say, it's, Difficult with Liverpool because, on one hand, they have been arguably, as I say, the best Premier League team in 2023 mm-hmm. in terms of February to now. Yeah. Um, I don't know because Trent Alexander Arnold has been sensational yeah. this season, was very good the back end of last season after that sort of very poor run of form that he had. Oh, it's a toss of a coin. But I'll let you choose. Yep. Yeah. Well, if you let me choose, I'm going to be Trent. So, if you want to, you know, not discuss- after me convincing you with Frimpong. No, just because I think, you know, you both got two players that, in a way, are well, they're in the exact same position in the league. Now, just <laughs> I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say next that will uh, convince you to go with uh, Trent. But I just think they're both, you know, top of the league, both the best right backs in the world. In their respective, yeah. Yeah, very, very different players. But I just think with Trent being, you know, at Liverpool being in many ways a centrepiece, 
Yeah, mm, do, is, does is, a lot, yeah. takes set pieces, scores from range. And also, his defending is obviously questionable at some point. But I'd say, as a right back, I'd have Trent in my team of the year. But okay. as you gave me Grimaldo, I'm happy to give you Frimpong on the other flank, if you wish. Yeah. Um, I think because we've already got one Leverkusen defender in there, I'll let you have Trent. Oh, being, hey. as, being as I didn't get Van Dijk, being as we, yeah, we're still appreciating Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. Means you can still appreciate Liverpool. Um, the base of our midfield, I think this one's going to be the easiest out of the, one of the easiest anyway. Rodri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Move on. What else can <laughs> be said? Um, Jude Bellingham. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What else can be said? Um, <laughs> just, well, another player that we did touch on earlier and had a really good um well what eight months with Dortmund very very good we're starting to see mm. well he was starting to become a very very good player and since he's made that move over to the Bernabeu and what what he did I think in the England um was it a friendly that we played Italy or was it no the qualifier that we played yeah Italy, it's a qualifier when he dragged England to get a result that day to be honest yeah you know he's playing this more attacking role in Madrid of course but he can do it in all areas of midfield. Oh, He's 100%. proven that for Borussia Dortmund, Birmingham, England, and now Real Madrid. I just think he's, there's something about him, his character. He looks like somebody who's a really good lad in the dressing room. Yeah. He looks like somebody who influences his teammates. He looks like he could play with sticks of wood. Mm. He really does. Yeah. Like when, he's, when he's on it, which is 95% of the time at the moment, he, he doesn't care who's around, who's mm. there. He he threads the ball he, dribbling wise this season. It's been very good. I know he's playing yeah. a little bit um, a little bit north at Real Madrid. But like you said, when he's come to play for England, he's just been weaving mm. his way through that midfield. Mm. And even when he's not as high up for England, he's still just as good. Yeah, that's to say, he's sensational. I think you can't not look at him for somebody in your team of the year. And the, this third one. I know who you've put because you mentioned it to me on the train. Mm-hmm. But Spoilers. And like you said, I get the point of uh, amazing few months outweighs a great year. Yeah. So, and you've sort of convinced me with that one, I must admit. Have I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if... Well, obviously, I'm you, to d- think, you guys don't know who yeah, you're talking Kevin about. Kevin De Bruyne. But who else is there that we could possibly include? I've thought about Bernardo Silva quite a bit. <laughs> But my mind is very much with the Bruyne. If you can think of anyone and mm. try and convince me, you can. But I just believe in that because you've got to think about it. He was injured in what August. That is eight months of a twelve months calendar year. And for the I know he got injured in Champions League final, but he was so good last year. And, it, and he was the centerpiece. Him and Rodri. I know. He, well, him, Rodri, and Haaland last year were. Absolutely undeniable. Now I, I did want to say Jamal Musiala, but I know he has missed yes. time out with injury. Mm. But if we're going on that argument, he's somebody that Bayern are very reliant on in terms of their quality coming through the middle. Um, he won the league on the final day for Bayern. Yeah. He's a sensational talent, but I'm really going to have to go with Kevin De Bruyne because this, this is something that I've still been debating even travelling traveling to Birmingham today to record this, <laughs> yeah. that there's that many quality players in that position and it's difficult to nail down one that's been consistent all year yep. through either injury or just not being selected. Um, so I think for 
you've got to appreciate what he did, haven't you? Winning the treble, he was amazing in every single competition. Look at his goal away at Madrid in the semi-final. Yeah, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Okay, I think two of our front three could be a lot easier than the third. No. No. My, no, it's now, sorry. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Just before we do go on to it, um, two are staunch, completely nailed in there. The one isn't, just because there's been no one that stand out enough for me mm. in the whole year to, I've got mine. to get slot, slotted in, and that is my right winger. So should we go left winger striker? Yeah, and then, and then we'll... yeah, because I, I'm, I'm really struggling. Yeah. Erling Haaland. Yeah. Both sensational. Haaland just... I know that there was a few months of people going, oh, he hasn't... But he's still scoring goals. <laughs> he's he's, he's top scorer of the Premier League exactly. this season. He's still the top goal scorer. Yeah, just because he's not got 50 this season already. His record is just unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I'm st- there's still new elements of his game that are being added as well. Yeah. He's still growing as a footballer. And so Mbappe, Mbappe, that speaks to itself. As, for, speaks for itself, sorry. He's the, at the heart of everything positive about Pep. He's Hunter. dragging it. like He's dragging that club on his back. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. They're both sensational, aren't they? Yeah. Mbappe is, as I say, the new uh, captain of the French national team. I think those two speak for themselves. The, oh, current, best, the current best player in the world in Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> the, the, two, the two guys who you know, have been tipped to lead this generation, and so far they are so doing that both a pair of robots yeah. <laughs> and um, on the right I'm going to let you as I said as guests go first but this is probably going to mean the most it means playing someone out of position oh does it yeah don't you're not putting Grealish on the right like Connor did you pages ago <laughs> are you no, no but this is what I mean with the right wingers this season is I don't see anyone um, just that jumps out to me if Saka had a better um, four months. Yeah, he probably takes it. He's pr- mm. He'd probably be in there. So go for it then. I'm intrigued now. Well, <laughs> Kane's a little bit slow to go on the <laughs> on the right Are you going side. Going Kane. What? Are you going Harry Kane? No, I'm going with um, Cristiano Ronaldo on that right side. I'm not having it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'll go with Lionel Messi. <laughs> <laughs> no, you told me on the way here that you best not have Messi in your team. No, I'm not going Messi. Are you not? You're you going, can cut you're this out. Ronaldo? Well, yeah. We're not cutting it out. No. I'm letting the whole world hear that you've just said that you wanted Messi. Oh. Right. Um, yep. Really, Cristiano Ronaldo? I mean, I know does, does, what? Tell You list three right-wingers. That Leroy, actually... Leroy Sane is mine. What? You've had so... Bloody hell. He's Europe's most informed player on the, on the wing, sorry. Is he still being recorded? Yeah. Oh, God. He's one of Europe's most formed players in terms of wide men. He was still very good last season. I know he had the little bust up with Sadio Mane. Yeah, the punch. Yes. Um, but this season under Tuchel, he's completely gone to another level. And if we're saying that in terms of wingers, that there aren't anybody you can list, I think he's the only one that really has performed at an elite level this season. No, I, I completely understand. And by the way me Mohamed, say, Mohamed Salah obviously but yeah, I, I he, wanted Salah <laughs> Salah was the closest for me but the way that I thought about it and that's what I did have a joke about putting Ronaldo in there um, but there's just been no one for me that's 
screams out, jumps off the page and goes, that is a player that deserves to be in the best team in the world over someone who plays in a different position. Now, the right wing position this season, well, this year, sorry, has just been, it's completely let me down and there's been no one really that jumps off the page Mm. and that's why I was struggling so much with that right side. As we said, if Saka hadn't, you know, had these performances since August, or probably, I'd say, probably more September, October, then I think it would be a different story, wouldn't it? But a hundred percent. And to you know, talk about the elephant in the room as people uh, listening, they probably thought that Lionel Messi would be in that right hand side. But the reason that we've not we spoke about it a little bit um, before, and the yeah. reason that we've not put him in is just because we're not accrediting him for something he did in twenty twenty two. Yeah, it's, it's not our fault that the World Cup was in December. Yeah, of two thousand twenty two. <laughs> so. Dad. This is a calendar team of 2023, so a great player, one of the greatest of all time, but yeah, we're he, not going with nostalgia on this week's podcast. Yeah, we do, We have enough nostalgia on here. We have enough nostalgia on I am blinded also. by nostalgia also. Yeah, it's all we talk about is nostalgia. As many of you know me and Ben personally, all we sit and talk about is old footballers. Yeah, I, so. had, a, I had a 20-minute segment the other day on Brian Clough. So, when was that? Well, it was the one that didn't come out. The one that we couldn't get working. Oh yeah, I had a segment. Oh, the, uh, I forgot about that. Because I, I asked myself a, um, a question in the Europe focus because I wanted to talk about Brian Clough. Yeah. So that is very. That weren't even nostalgia of when I was born. That was just pure oh, blindness. Yeah, there was, there was actually whilst Ben was away when we was doing the podcast on um, Riverside, on the the YouTube. Mm. That's just the software I used. A lot of you probably don't know what Riverside is. But when we were doing the podcast start recorded, and we had to do them at like really random times whilst Ben was in Bali, and um, we did one. And um, I was abs- I've never been so angry in my life because the whole of my only Ben's footage recorded, so Ben's just talking to himself for like an hour and a half. And we can we can put that out if you know if, if uh, comment on this. Uh, well, it's like if anyone knows Shakespeare's Love Labors uh, Love Labors one, the forgotten play. This is the forgotten podcast. No one knows that Ben. What? No <laughs> one's. I doubt. Con- oh, 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 I'm sorry that William Connor. Shakespeare, one of the most famous men in the world. Now, I doubt that Connor's going to be sat there listening at home. And go, oh, love yeah. Labour's wood. Yeah, yeah. If Connor was here right now, he'd, he'd be ready to abuse us both on the way home, wouldn't he? Yeah. Simply for the fact that we're mentioning Shakespeare. He would. That's what, that's what I've done it this week, because I can get away with it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a very cultured man, and you'll you let me talk a bit of William. But yeah, we, we do hope to bring some consistency <laughs> back to the podcast, because we did have a bit of a rough period with Ben being away. And I apologise for that. When he was getting back from work, it was like, three o'clock in the morning in Indonesia yeah. and we could only really do it on certain nights and software issues and yeah. I was away at Christmas so now we're back um, we will be going back towards a different format in March when I move away to Germany for six months mm-hmm. um, but no uh, we will be back the next week I presume uh, yep. we'll get in touch with Harrison hopefully Harrison's back as well and Connor need to get everyone yeah everyone we in. need everyone because we haven't had one with all four of us yet have we I think we've had yeah, we've, we had was it? We, no, yeah, Har- we did one on Riverside, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But in person, we, we've not um, had the complete quattro. But no, it has been um, fantastic to be back today. I do hope that you all have enjoyed our first episode yep. of 2024. We aim to be back with you next week. We'll do more stuff with sort of questions on that. This was much more of a last-minute thing to get this episode in. Um, so no, there will be more stuff for you next week. And it's great to be back on Spotify. It's great to have Ben back in the UK. Thank you very much. And great to be back in the home of all things European football. So thank you all very much for listening. As always, I will see you next week. I've been Cam, he's been Ben. Sure, for a bit. (laughs) 